was on, there was a show called Mad TV back in the 80s and 90s, and uh, a guy named Bob Newhart played a, uh, a therapist in this one skit they did, and this lady uh, came into his office, and you know, they exchanged pleasantries, introduced themselves, and he said, so what are you here for? What, what's your problem? And she said, well, I have this fear that I'm going to be buried alive. And he was like, oh, well, why? Has anyone ever threatened you? To, and she's like, no. But anytime I go to the elevator or, you know, small boxy room, he's like, oh, you got claustrophobia. She said, yeah. And he said, okay, great. Uh, and he's like, I've got two words for you. He's like, this, this has been super helpful in my practice. Uh, and you can be out of here in less than five minutes. She gets her pen out. She's like, should I write them down? He's like, no, you should. That's probably not necessary. And she's like, okay. And then he just yells at her, stop it. She's like, wait, what? Yeah, when you, you know, when you get fearful or anxious, just stop it. She was like, okay. Um, and, and they kind of go on, and then she presents some other problems to him, and you find out that is kind of his remedy for all of his clients and all their issues is just stop it. Uh, tonight we're coming to a, a place in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus addresses our anxiety. And I know for some of you, this is a struggle. Uh, it's, it's not even just a struggle that, that you struggle with anxiety, but I, I think sometimes the way we can even speak to ourselves in anxiety can actually mirror Bob Newhart's character. We just want to stop. And, and, and what I want you to see tonight is that Jesus does, he, he says, do not be anxious. But he gives us a much more hopeful and nuanced way to a life that is free of anxiety. To actually find rest in him. And so I'm going to read for us from Matthew uh, towards the end of chapter 6. Should be there on your handout. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We pray for us. Father, uh, Lord, we come to you uh, tonight uh, as those uh, with a lot 
uh, on our plate. Lord, there, there's much going on uh, in the world, as Jameson uh, just prayed for. There's a lot going on in our own personal lives. Uh, there's a lot going on, Lord, that can make us feel anxious. Lord, we thank you that you actually call us to cast our cares and our anxieties upon you. Lord, would you teach us to do that when we feel like we are drowning or even being choked by our anxiety? Lord, would you give us the grace and wisdom to know what it looks like to come to you, our Heavenly Father who knows exactly what we need. Lord, I pray uh, that your word tonight would be a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look at three things uh, tonight as we look at this passage. We're going to look at how Jesus explains uh, the roots of anxiety, uh, what it looks like to confront our anxiety, and then lastly, the the antidote to our anxiety. Um, Before we talk briefly about, about the roots of anxiety, when we're talking about anxiety, when Jesus is addressing anxiety, he sums it up well, actually, at the end of this passage. Verse 34, he says this. He says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Uh, when we're talking about anxiety, what we're talking about is, is a fear about the future. Uh, it, it's a fear that, that, is, that is rooted in uncertainty, but it, but it often has an eye to the future. Notice he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Anxiety has to do with our fear addressing what is ahead. And, and, and since we don't know what's ahead, it, it, it has this uncertainty to it. We don't like uncertainty, naturally. If your teacher assigned you a paper this week and said, I want this paper to be clear and well-written, you know, forget your grammar mistakes, get it spell-checked, and I want it in by next week. That wouldn't leave you with a whole lot of clarity as to actually what they wanted you to write about. Uh, we need certainty. We, we like certainty. But we're also not God. And so we can like certainty too much. And, and when we do, when we value that, it can often leave us feeling anxious. So why do we do it? Where does this come from? Why do we struggle with this? Why do we love certainty? Uh, Jesus says something very interesting at the beginning of this passage. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Jesus is basing this command. When he says, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you drink, what you'll put on. He's basing this command based on what he has just talked about. And what he has just talked about in the prior sections, the one we discussed last week is the Lord's Prayer. But the, the section right after that is, is a section where Jesus says, basically, you have two options in this world. At the end of the day, you can lay up your treasure in God, or you can lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and at the end of that section, he says, and right before where Jesus says, therefore, 
Jesus says those famous words, therefore you cannot serve both God and money. Then he says, therefore, do not be anxious. And and so you see what Jesus is saying. If our trust, if our treasure, if, if what we treasure and love the most is God, if our treasure is in heaven, therefore we do not have reason to be anxious. But if our hope is in the things of this world, if we treasure the things of this world, then naturally we are going to be anxious. We are inviting anxiety. Why? Because deep down we know that what Jesus said is true. We know that the things of this world are not permanent. We know that moth and rust can destroy. Thieves can come in and steal. If the thing we treasure the most, if you're here to graduate and become a millionaire within 10 years, you know, or you ought to know, your wealth can disappear. It just takes one bad investment, one job loss, one 2020, or one recession for that to disappear. If your treasure is in your friend group or in a relationship, deep down, that's going to always leave us insecure because we know those things can go away. It just takes one argument that doesn't get resolved. It just takes one portion of the group kind of talking back behind the backs of the other group and then all of a sudden that friend group sadly can dissipate just in a matter of moments. We know this deep down, and so it leaves us anxious. Our GPA, you might have the most solid GPA. Your hard worker can just take one class. Our financial aid is unstable. Politics and the feeling of being in control. We love control. America is drunk on control. We love it so much. And the idea of being in control or our people being in control we love that. That's why some of us are feeling anxious. Maybe you're feeling anxious right now. You're like, oh gosh. And that's Jesus' point. We, we, if our hope is in these things, we ought to feel anxious because they are impermanent. And Jesus is not saying these things don't matter. Jesus is not saying, therefore, you shouldn't care about politics. Therefore, you shouldn't care about your body. He's not saying we shouldn't even care about like what we eat or what we drink. No, God made the world. He made you. He created humans in his image. We ought to care about our bodies. We ought to take care of our bodies. We ought to value them. But we can so easily value these things too much. He's not saying we shouldn't care about money. No, because notice the image he gives. He says, look at the birds of the air. Do birds just kind of like chill and like worms just like drop in their mouth? Yeah, sure, when they're babies. But no, like birds have to work. And Jesus is saying we can learn a lot by looking at birds. Birds are busy. They build nests. They go get food. But yet they're not hoarding. They're not worried about their 401k, what others think of them. They work and they are fed And their heavenly father takes care of them. How much more so will he take care of us who's been created in his image? 
our kids this week went, you know, trick-or-treating, and we came back one night, they dumped their things out, and one of them was standing on, you know, they had those pumpkin, uh, pumpkin trick-or-treat bags, uh, a little basket, and great for holding candy, uh, but one of them was trying to reach something on the mantelpiece and used it to step uh, as a stepping uh, stone, and I said, no, 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 you can't do it. And, you know, in their mind, I'm thinking, oh, this holds a lot of candy. Great for holding candy. It is not designed to hold your weight. You, you will crush it. And if I were to step on it, it would crush it. Why? It's not, it's not meant to hold the weight of us. And in the same way, things like our finances and other people's opinions of us and relationships are not meant to hold the weight of our hopes and our dreams. And deep down, we know that. And so when they are threatened, it is inevitably going to leave us anxious. When we put our hope in them, it is inevitably going to leave us anxious. And so what ends up happening is that something that maybe should cause us concern, you know, it starts off like a little snowball. Oh, man, I got this test coming up. And then we begin thinking about, we start doing this old what-if situation. Oh, gosh. I didn't get that study time in. And if I fail this, oh gosh, I might get set back. And if I fail that class, and then all of a sudden, that snowball kind of turns into an avalanche. And we have projected like five scenarios. All of them are terrible. Three of them end up, you know, with us homeless. Um, In a matter of seconds, we can do that. And so what do we do? How do we confront our anxiety? Because uh, Jesus doesn't just leave us with the command, do not be anxious. Stop it. Uh, he's not telling us to merely stop it. But he actually talks about how we can actually confront our anxiety. How do we do that? Uh, one, we have to recognize Jesus actually points out in a kind way the foolishness of our anxiety. We have to be able to recognize what is going on in our anxiety. Look at verse 27. He says this in verse 27. uh, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You've had that moment before. You've had the snowball to avalanche moment, whether it was with grades or a relationship, someone didn't text you back or whatever, and you've played out all these scenarios. I don't know if you've ever had a moment to look back and think, man, I was really freaking out. Um... Did that help? And the answer is always no. It's never anxiety. You know, here he's saying it cannot add a single hour to our lives. If you talk to most therapists and uh, doctors today, they would say it actually probably detracts from our life. It can certainly take hours off of our life. Today is a great example. And your campus minister is a great example to say, today I woke up. We went to bed early last night. We were pooped and just like 8.45, cashing our chips. So I woke up this morning thinking like, oh, I'm going to know we're going to have a new president. Well, of course not. Of course we don't have a new president. We still don't know. Um, but I remember thinking, what is up with Pennsylvania? For those of you who don't know, Pennsylvania has this law. They can't you know, count their absentee or early ballots until the day of. And I remember thinking this morning, there are 64%. Like, I want to know. So like, you know what, I'll check later. Of course, later meant like 15 minutes later. There's still 64%. An hour later, 64%. What is my checking doing? Nothing. 
Is it bad for me to want to know? No, it's not bad for me to want to know. But, but, but it can so easily become this thing that we become fixated upon, worried upon. I need to know. I have to know. At the end of the day, Jesus is saying, what are you doing in the midst of that? It, it, is worrying about this, is playing out these what-if scenarios helping you? No. And then right after that, he actually says something else. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Jesus is not saying that that, uh, we have little faith in everything. What he's saying here is he's reminding them, God is going to clothe you. Oh, one of little faith, little faith in God. And, and that's the other thing we need to confront in the midst of our anxiety, because in the midst of our anxiety, we are displaying a small amount of faith and trust in God and a large amount of trust and faith in ourselves and our knowledge. Because what are we doing when we play out all the what-if scenarios and then this and then this? Essentially, what we are, we're taking, we're removing God out of the equation and, and basically saying, oh gosh, the wheels have fallen off and this situation cannot be redeemed. Because I know this is going to happen and then this is going to happen. And, and what are we doing? We're putting a tremendous amount of faith in ourselves and a little amount of faith in Jesus. One author put it this way Worry never fixes tomorrow's problems, but it can empty today of joy. There's a famous theologian, Martin Luther, and he had a good friend um, named Philip Melanchthon who was prone to worry. And he was known to say to Philip often, Philip, you need to cease being God. At at the core of a lot of our anxiety is the belief that that if we can just think through the situation or rehearse these consequences or potential consequences, then we will be okay. What does it add to our life, Jesus says? So so we need to recognize uh, the foolishness and we need to gain perspective. Look look at verses 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And when he says that word Gentiles, he's referring to those who don't believe in God. But like those who have no interest in God seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. God no, you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying the other thing we need to confront is not just our small amount of faith in Jesus and our big amount of faith in us. Um, not just that anxiety cannot add anything to our lives, but we also need to remember God knows. God created us, and he knows what you need. A couple of years ago, my dad got double knee replacement surgery. Uh, and he had minor pain in his knees uh, and that eventually grew to be pretty, pretty, yeah, it, it, was, it was really painful. Um, but I went in to see him after the surgery, and his knees didn't look bad before, but when I went in, his knees, he looked terrible, just overall. He'd been in the hospital for a few days. Uh, he ended up having to go to a rehab place. And I just remember him saying, how can this be better? 
he was really regretting what he had done. You know, he's seen these huge scars. His knees are swelled up. Before, he didn't have these scars. His knees weren't swelling. But the doctor said, no, 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 no. We checked the MRI. This is clear. This is actually going exactly how it's supposed to go. It will take a little while, but your knees on the outside look, look really bad. But, but our operation went really well. You, you've got two great knees. Uh, the x-rays are clear. The MRIs are clear. But here's the deal. The outsider would have never known that without the perspective of a trained doctor. <laughs> You'd look at my dad and think, you need surgery to repair whatever they just did. Whoever just did that, that, that needs to be done to be repaired. Because uh, you look worse than you did before. Uh, but no, when you have a radiologist, when you have someone who's trained to look at these images, they can say, they can actually give you the perspective that you need. And Jesus here in the midst of our anxiety is inviting us to remember his perspective. God has created you and he knows what you need. We have to remember who God is and who we are. What is our track record of running the world really well? It's not good. We don't have a great track record of running our lives that well, much less the world. We can trust that the God who has created the world and sustained the world can care for us. That's why Paul writes in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him. And I love this because Paul doesn't just say, cast all your anxiety on him because he's mighty, because he's powerful. He says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You can bring your anxiety to God. Yes, because he's mighty. And yes, we need to remember he's in control. But also because God actually cares for you. He cares for me. He cares for you. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God is willing to give up his son, we can trust that he will care for us. If he's willing to give up his son, we can trust that he will care for us. We need to remember this perspective of who God is. And you know what? This is exactly what Jesus does in the garden. If you read the end of the Gospels, when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, he knows he's about to face crucifixion. And he is afraid. He's sweating blood. And he's praying, Lord, if there's another way, let this cup pass. And you know what he says in the light of that? He says, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus himself is praying this exact same thing. He's saying, this is going to be really hard. If there's another way, Lord, can we do another way? At the end of the day, not my will, but your will be done. And that's exactly what he invites us to do in this passage. We're not to be anxious, but instead of turning to anxiety, Jesus invites us to seek the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you that's how we are to live 
in light of the fact that we have a God who cares for us and loves us, Jesus then invites us to live for him, to seek his kingdom. This is what, we, this is what Jesus has been talking about throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, is, is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. And what Jesus is talking about when he says that in Matthew 4 is, is what he's, he's saying is that his rule and his reign and his flourishing are here. And the Sermon on the Mount is an invitation to find our lives in his life, to root ourselves in him and therefore to flourish. And Jesus here is saying, rather than turning to our anxiety, rather than trusting ourselves, because we have a God who cares for us, seek his kingdom. What does that mean? What does it mean to seek his kingdom? It can mean a lot of things. One is that, that we, what we talked about last week, one of the things is that we can pray that our world would look more and more like it reflects who Jesus is and what he loves. But it also starts with us. Before we can seek the kingdom out there, one of the ways we seek the kingdom is actually by bringing our own hearts before him and acknowledging we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness. Seeking the kingdom seeks to apply Jesus' truth to every aspect of our lives. When you resist the temptation to gossip, you are seeking to bring Jesus' rule and reign to the way you speak. When you resist the temptation to talk behind someone's back, when you resist the temptation... uh, to look at pornography, when you resist the temptation uh, to use someone rather than to love them, when you give to the poor, when you cry out against injustices in this country, you are seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. And the reason Jesus is telling us to do that is because his kingdom and his righteousness are firm. They are permanent. Your anxiety in your life will directly correlate to the permanence of what you value. If what you value is impermanent, you are going to be anxious. Jesus invites us to seek his kingdom. It is an everlasting kingdom. And when we're seeking his kingdom and when we are making his name great and loving others in his name, we're participating in a kingdom that is eternal and everlasting. Jesus invites you tonight. And I know, I know some of you are feeling anxious about the election. Some of you are in quarantine and you're anxious about just the fact that you've got to stay at home now uh, for way longer than you ever like to be home. Others of you are anxious because there's two weeks left in the semester. And that that scares you academically. Um, Some of you are scared about going home for two months. In the midst of that, Jesus invites you to bring your anxiety to him. To come to him because he cares for you. And and this passage, it's interesting. uh, A campus minister friend of mine pointed out to me that that word, seek the kingdom, 
it's not a one-time thing. Like, hey, if you seek the kingdom of God, you're going to be done with your anxiety. <laughs> you're not going to walk away after reading this passage or hearing this sermon and be like, well, I guess I'm done with that. That's great. No more anxiety. No, it's an active, ongoing seeking of the kingdom. As you digest that truth, it can change you and it can morph you. And Jesus is inviting you to come and find rest for your weary soul because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you do care. Lord, we confess uh, the ways we have tried to find life apart from you. We confess the ways we have treasured uh, our own comfort, our own security, our own reputation more than you. And Lord, we need your help because, because those things have made us anxious and fearful. And so Lord, would you meet us in our weakness? Uh, would you help us? And Lord, would you show us how beautiful and how firm a foundation we have in you. Heal us and help us, we pray, in Christ's holy and precious